0: Foreign Relations Committee will come to order. We have an unusual uh, procedure today. As usual, we'll defer to the uh, outstanding senators who are here to introduce others, and we thank them for being here. It's an honor to have you here in our committee. But we will let them go first so that they can go on to their other business. We'll then convene or adjourn and convene the business meeting for just a moment and hopefully pass some nominees out and pass some bills out. And then we'll resume with the uh, great testimony we know we'll hear from our nominees. So with that, um, again, we welcome you. I I, I don't know if I can remember the seniority order, except to know that I know Senator Cornyn um, is first in seniority. We thank you for being back here again with another great Texan. And um, I don't know whether it's Senator Lee or Senator Manchin who came next. I think I'll let you guys arm wrestle over that while while uh, Senator Cornyn gives his comments. But again, thank you so much for being willing to come and make good comments about outstanding nominees. We thank you. Yes, sir.
1: Well, thank you, Chairman Corker and, uh, and uh, Ranking Member Cardin. Thanks for holding this hearing. And I'm here primarily to introduce uh, Wes Mitchell, but I, I have to comment on the, uh, on the great uh, willingness of uh, John Huntsman to serve his country once again, uh, this time in another peaceful placid sort of setting uh, in Moscow at this time. Um, But Wes Wes Mitchell has uh, been nominated to serve as Assistant Secretary of State for European and Eurasian Affairs and it's an honor to introduce him. He was born in Lubbock, Texas. He's a sixth generation Texan and I'm confident he will bring uh, his Texas can-do attitude to the State Department and he's joined here today by his wife Elizabeth and their two children, Wesley and Charlotte as well as other relatives. Outside from being a Texan, uh, Wes has made a name for himself as the co-founder of the Center for European Policy Analysis, or CEPA, which he created with Larry Hirsch for the purpose of strengthening the economic and military ties between the United States and Europe. His nomination could not come at a more critical time. Russia, as we know, is using both military and cyber capabilities to intimidate and pressure Western nations while terrorist groups infiltrate their people. As we sit here today, Russia, of course, is conducting its largest military exercise in years in the Baltics. Also troubling is the news that uh, Russia sold sophisticated anti-aircraft weaponry to Turkey in a clear attempt to try to drive a wedge in our NATO alliance. Through his work at SIPA, Wes has advocated a strong U.S. position in Europe to include U.S. leadership and participation in NATO. Along with Ambassador Nikki Haley, West will bring deep institutional background and leadership to a region threatened by both conventional and non-conventional forces. I recently had the chance to travel with some of our colleagues to the Balkans and met with their leaders who unanimously expressed their growing concern over Russian influence and the destabilizing effect of the refugee crisis in Europe. As recent additions to the NATO family, these countries look to the West for leadership, security and trade. And I can't think of a better place for them to look rather than uh, to fall into the tender mercies of Vladimir Putin and the Russian Federation. Wes has created one of the largest NATO brain trusts in the United States and I think is just the kind of person we need to send to Europe to reassert U.S. leadership following years of neglect. That's why I wholeheartedly support his nomination and encourage the committee to do the same. I look forward to working with him, Secretary Tillerson, and the rest of the administration as we work to reestablish U.S. global leadership in the promotion of the democratic values in the region. So thank you, Chairman Corker and Ranking Member Card, for having me here today and to the entire committee, and I commend this nominee uh, for your support.
2: Thank
0: you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Is it going to be Senator Manchin, it looks like? Go ahead.
2: I have one month seniority on Senator Lee. <laughs> <thank you. laughs> Uh, let me just say what a pleasure it is to be here before you, Mr. Mm-hmm. Chairman, and allowing me to come. And truly in a bipartisan way, because the person that we're here to speak on on behalf of is truly a bipartisan person, wanting to get things done. So I want to thank uh, Senator Lee uh, for being here also, because I know they've been great friends. But Governor Huntsman is a dear friend of mine, is a personal friend of mine. And uh, governors have a bond, uh, uh, unlike most other bonds in the political life. We all have the same problems, we have the same concerns for our constituents, and we try to share our uh, successes we have and help each other not to repeat the same mistakes that we've made. So it's a really unusual bond. But to Mary Kay, his wife, and Gail and I and John have done things together, and and we've enjoyed being with each other and become fast friends. They have six of their seven children here with them today. Uh, They have two grandchildren and many more on the way, I'm sure, Uh, (laughs) as we talk. Uh, But with that being said, uh, John has a resume, it's unbelievable, and when you think about what John has done in the past, ambassador to both China and Singapore, deputy United States trade representative, deputy assistant secretary of commerce for East Asian and Pacific Affairs, and deputy assistant secretary of commerce for trade development, Uh, but John is known uh, most for his two terms as governor for Utah, and the people overwhelmingly uh, have supported John and endorsed and, and, and voted for him. But John left the state in such great shape financially, and we had a lot in common during the difficult times when the crash happened in 2728. Uh, what I know John Huntsman is this, the compassion he has, and I've said this before. We've both gone through mining tragedies, and the mining tragedies we had in our states were, were devastating to not just those of the families involved, but to all of us. And I watched John rise up in the compassion he had for each and every one of them, making sure it never repeated itself again. Um, I have seen that. I've worked with John in a a group called No Labels. He and I were the first co-chairs of No Labels, trying to bring people together in a bipartisan way, looking for a solution, not trying to exasperate the problems and identify the weaknesses of both sides. I've watched John. We have a troubled world that we live in, and and at this time, you know, uh, we are the greatest superpower, the only superpower in the world. But superpower means more than having super military might. It means having super diplomatic might also. That's going to take a person with skills unlike anything we've ever seen before. Russia is a challenge to us, but it's one that we have to face and we have to work with and try to find a pathway forward. There's only one person that I know of, and truly I mean this in the bottom of my heart, that I believe can go to Russia, try to find a pathway, open up a dialogue, find a pathway forward and find agreements where we may have disagreements we respect each other and move forward in a troubled world, trying to keep it less, uh, less violent. Uh, I come here with great pleasure and the opportunity to say to my friend, thank you for wanting to step up and serve again. John is a tremendous patriot and a tremendous American, but he's also a great friend, and I appreciate him very much. So I'd encourage all of my colleagues on both sides of Al, uh to vote unanimously for this outstanding uh, nominee that we have before us. Thank you, Mr. Chairman.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much for being here. We appreciate the comments. Senator Lee.
3: Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. Uh, I'm not going to repeat all of the resume items mentioned by Senator Manchin, but I am definitely going to echo Senator Manchin's conclusion. I cannot imagine anyone as well qualified to take this post as U.S. Ambassador to Russia as my friend and former boss, Governor John Huntsman. <laughs> I, I served as his general counsel while he was the governor of the state of Utah, and so needless to say, I, I saw him in every imaginable circumstance uh, uh, as he worked through decisions, (laughs) not every imaginable, uh, that one could plausibly deal with as governor. Uh, And in every circumstance, he had one objective, which was to serve the people, to find the right outcome, and to make sure that uh, families throughout Utah, particularly the poor and middle class, were left in a better position than he found them. And he succeeded. It's no coincidence that this man, to my right, uh, became the most popular governor in America at the time. That His approval rating soared to a record 90%. Now, I I never met uh, a member of that 10% group that apparently didn't approve of them. I'm not sure they exist. Um, uh, But the fact that he was able to do all that he did as a policy reformer, as a change agent for government in Utah while still remaining as the most popular governor in America, is itself remarkable. Also, uh, what's remarkable is the fact that this is someone who has served in every Republican administration since the Reagan administration. Uh, And in addition to that, he was tapped, of course, by President Obama to serve as the ambassador to China. One interesting side note here is the fact that I think it's worth mentioning separately that he will have served as the U.S. ambassador both for the world's most populous nation, China, and if confirmed to this position, uh, the world's nation uh, bearing the largest footprint. Uh, I think that is significant. In addition to this, he's served in a variety of capacities in corporate America uh, as an executive in the Huntsman Chemical Corporation, Uh, He serves on the uh, board of Ford Motor Corporation. And then there is, of course, his most cherished and important position, uh, that of being uh, chairman of the board, I believe it is, or or perhaps chief operating officer with Mary Kay serving as the chief executive officer uh, of the Huntsman family. John and his lovely wife, Mary Kay, have seven amazing children, and that is no exaggeration here. I'd encourage each of you to get to know them. In short, this is someone who will represent the interests of the United States in every moment and in every circumstance, regardless of where you fall on the ideological spectrum. You will be pleased with the service this man will perform if he's confirmed as U.S. Ambassador to Russia. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Senator Lee. Thank you all uh, for your comments and your taking the time to be here. We appreciate that very much. And you all are. Welcome to leave we're going to move into a very boring business meeting and it would indicate you it would indicate you don't have anything else to do if you stayed so um, So the committee hearing is adjourned uh, Briefly and we will move to the business meeting We will reconvene our hearing. I want to thank everybody for their cooperation in moving through that. Uh, It's very much appreciated. I'll give a very brief opening statement, and I'm sure Senator Cardin will do the same. Europe and Eurasia are home to some of the closest partners and also some of our greatest challenges. Formed in 1949 to defend the free people of the West from Soviet threat, NATO remains vital to the security of Europe and the United States. European Union is also a critical partner in trade, politics, and global humanitarian efforts. Additionally, the United States oldest and best allies, France and the United Kingdom, are European countries. We look to the Bureau of European and Eurasian Affairs to manage these relationships as the United States uh, reasserts itself on the world stage. Yet Russia, uh, Russia's bad acts complicate much of the good that the United States tries to do. The Russian Federation possesses not only the second most powerful military in the world but also a seat on the United Nations Security Council, where its veto protects war criminals such as Bashar Assad. In the last several years, Russia has twice invaded Ukraine, where it continues to illegally occupy Crimea and aggravate the war in Donbass. Vladimir Putin Putin entered the Syrian war on the side of the regime and has repeatedly used chemical weapons on civilians. And last year, Russian efforts to influence the 2016 U.S. election fundamentally damaged our bilateral relationship. If that weren't enough, Russia, in its violation of the Intermediate-Range Nuclear Forces Treaty, it's in violation and is failing to meet its obligations under the Treaty on Open Skies. On the other hand, we have many issues of common interest, and figuring out a way to, to move between these issues successfully is going to be a great challenge for our ne- next ambassador. Today's nominees will need to perform some of the most important diplomatic work that our country could require to preserve our interests throughout Europe and guard against further Russian aggression. We thank them for the willingness to serve and welcome them to the committee today. Senator Cardin.
4: Let me welcome both of of our witnesses. Um, It really is a pleasure to have uh, the two nominees before us. Uh, I can't think of two more important positions uh, that this committee will consider than the two positions we are considering today. They are that consequential. I had a chance to meet with both of our nominees and I found the discussions to be extremely helpful and very encouraging as to the amount of agreement, uh, as to the importance of the assignment and uh, the manner in which um, our nominees will carry out that responsibility if confirmed. Governor Huntsman, it's a pleasure to have you back. Uh, You just can't seem to avoid uh, the desire to serve the community, and we thank you for that. Uh, You're entitled to a little time off, but you seem not to want a lot of time off from public service. But we thank you for your willingness, and I particularly want to thank your family, because this is a family commitment. Uh, It'll be interesting, your observations as to whether Russia was more challenging or less challenging than China. I I mean, you have really taken on some of the most difficult challenges in our country. And uh, you started with Singapore put Utah in there someplace, and then uh, decided to go on. So we, we thank you for that. As the chairman pointed out, Russia is, a, is a, really a, a challenged relationship that we have. They attacked us and our democracy on, in 2016. They invaded Ukraine, and they still illegally occupy Crimea. They are supporting the Assad regime in Syria. So that is why Congress passed the uh, Sanctions uh, Act against Russia, to make it clear that that type of behavior will not go unchallenged. And uh, we will look forward to you in, in implementing uh, that legislation. Uh, our goal is to change Russia's behavior, particularly as it reflects U.S. interests. It is not to have a chummy relationship with Russia without a change in behavior. Yes, we always want to have constructive relationships with all countries, but for us to have that that bond, we need to have a country that respects uh, our independence and respects universal values, and today Russia has done neither. I hope that for uh, Russia's fighting for freedom in their country, that Spazo House will continue to be welcomed for civil society, which has been the tradition uh, of the U.S. uh, representation and mission. And I appreciate your commitment to continue that tradition, and I hope there'll be regular dialogues sponsored by the United States on human rights. uh, Boris Nemtsov, the slain opposition leader, called the Magnitsky Act the most pro-Russian legislation ever enacted. So we will be looking to you to help us implement that pro-Russian people legislation known as the Magnitsky Act. So we look forward to a, a good discussion today, and again, we thank you for your willingness to serve. Uh, to Mr. Mitchell, uh, oh, there you are. <laughs> thank you for your willingness to serve. I also acknowledge your family as, as a family uh, sacrifice. I can't think of a more important uh, region of the world. The transatlantic partnership is critically important to the United States in our security and our de- defense of our democratic values. We're stronger when we're united with Europe. We saw that with the Iran. When we, the sanctions were applied with Europe's support, we were able to get Iran's attention. Before that, we really weren't able to do that. The same thing is going to be true with Russia. We have been in unity with Europe on Russia. We've now believe we've got to take it to the next plateau. Your responsibility will be to meet with our European partners to maintain that unity. Uh, We need to build resiliency in our democratic institutions across Europe. Uh, Russia's aggression is not obviously aimed just at the United States. Its principal targets are in Europe. Uh, we welcome working with our European partners to strengthen that resiliency and to work with regional organizations such as the, such as the OSCE. Uh, another hat I wear is the ranking Democrat on the OSCE the Parliamentary uh, uh, Helsinki Commission. Many challenges, in addition to Russia, you got Brexit, you got Turkey, and how we're dealing with Turkey, you have the, the, the migration issues, you have uh, unity against ISIL. You have concerns of erosion in the democratic process, and some of our European countries that are members of EU and NATO. So you have a full plate, and we look forward to that discussion, and we thank you for your willingness to, to be here and to take on this responsibility.
0: Governor, we thank you so much for being here, and, and uh, I want to join in with Senator Cardin in thanking you for many years of service, both in your state but... Uh, on behalf of us here in our country, but uh, in China and other places also. I had a great meeting with you yesterday and strongly support your nomination. I'm glad that your family is willing to do this. Um, We had some conversations about your wonderful spouse and why she would do this, and maybe you'll speak to that in a moment. But uh, we do hope you'll introduce them. We thank you for bringing them with you. We know it's a partnership. Uh, We're anxious to hear your testimony, and... If you could, if you could summarize in about five minutes uh, any other materials that uh, you want to enter into the record, we're glad to do so. But again, thank you uh, for your distinguished past service and thank you for your willingness to serve our country in this way. And with that, if you'd begin, we'd appreciate it.
5: Thank you, Chairman Corker. To Ranking Member Cardin, thank you for your comments as well, uh, for your uh, kind and encouraging words about our return to public service. And also fitting in uh, my time as governor of the great state of Utah. In reflecting on those years, I have to say I never once invaded one of my surrounding states. (laughs) Came very close in the case of Nevada from time to time, but all was well. And I want to thank all members of this committee. Uh, It's truly an honor to appear before you today as President Trump's nominee to be the United States Ambassador to the Russian Federation. I want to thank the President for his confidence in me and for this opportunity with your approval to represent the American people during what is, we all know, a critical period in U.S.-Russian relations. Additionally, I want to express my uh, gratitude to Secretary of State Rex Tillerson for his support as well. Uh, most important to all of this uh, are the people who are sitting behind me, uh, Senator Corker, and thank you for, for pointing that out, uh, a, a wonderful family. Uh, and I want to start by thanking uh, my wife, uh, Mary Kay, uh, without whom we wouldn't be here today, and all of our children. Uh, six of seven are here. Uh, daughter Mary Ann, who was here with uh, husband Evan Morgan. Uh, daughter Abby, who was here with uh, Jeff Livingston. I, I never call them deadbeat sons-in-law, uh, mind you. They're all the best in the world. Uh, our daughter Liddy, who is here with uh, Eduardo Hernandez. Liddy, where? there we go. Uh, our son John, uh, otherwise known as Lieutenant J.G. Uh, Huntsman at Woodby Island Naval Air Station, who was part of VAQ-129, a uh, pilot in the Growler Squadron, who was here with lovely wife uh, Morgan. Uh, our son Will, who was also a naval officer uh, in the EOD training pipeline, uh, is not with us, unfortunately, uh, the training apparently is so strict he couldn't get a few hours off, so we'll have to consult with the foreign relate- or the Armed Services Committee uh, on that one next time. Uh, and our daughters, uh, Gracie, uh, who has served the last couple of months as my foreign policy advisor, uh, and daughter Asha, who is here uh, as well. Uh, their love and support has absolutely sustained me through many phases of my life. Uh, and the different hats that I've had the pleasure of wearing both in public uh, and private sectors. Uh, Obviously, we could not undertake uh, this new challenge uh, with your support without uh, the complete endorsement uh, uh, of our family. I've had the privilege of serving as ambassador three times, including to China uh, and to Singapore. I am fully cognizant uh, of the profound responsibilities a chief of mission must assume. During my previous service, including as governor of the great state of Utah and in the private sector, I've always prided myself on leading dynamic teams and achieving important goals by bringing individuals together from different backgrounds and different points of view. If confirmed, I look forward to working with colleagues from the State Department and all other U.S. government agencies to advance the interests of the American people. While I'm confident that my previous experience does prepare me for the sensitive diplomatic mission, I'm under no illusion that serving as the US ambassador to the Russian Federation will be easy or simple. Our relationship with Russia is among the most consequential and complex foreign policy challenges we face. As a nuclear superpower, a permanent member of the UN Security Council, we have no choice but to deal with Russia on a range of issues touching on global stability and security. Yet we also need to recognize that today, contrary to Helsinki final act principles and international law. Russia continues to threaten stability in Europe, including by violating the sovereignty and territorial integrity of its neighbors. Russia also restricts the human rights of its own people. There is no question, underline no question, that the Russian government interfered in the US election last year, and Moscow continues to meddle in the democratic processes of our friends and allies. Finally, Russia is disregarding its arms control obligations and commitments. As we work to balance these multiple challenges, I appreciate the leadership and insight that this committee has demonstrated on Russia. And if confirmed, I welcome the opportunity to collaborate with all of you in the months and years ahead. In short, if confirmed, I will focus on four primary approaches. I will engage Russian government officials from the highest tiers to the local levels to advance American interests. Key among our goals are defeating ISIS, countering terrorism, upholding arms control and non-proliferation obligations and commitments, finding a political solution to the conflict in Syria, and resolving the crisis in Ukraine in a way that respects Ukraine's sovereignty and restores its territorial integrity. I will also not hesitate to remind government officials that they are accountable for their actions. Exhibit A is the fact that interference in the U.S. election has led directly to the current low level of trust in the relationship. The views of Congress were heard loud and clear on this point with the year unanimous passage, as Senator Cardin mentioned, of the Countering America's Adversaries Through Sanctions Act. Second, I will work to protect the interests of the American people to include U.S. business, scholars, tourists, and other American visitors who spend time in Russia and engage its good citizens. I believe people-to-people exchanges and private interactions are an important way to show that our disagreements are with the government of Russia, not with its people. Third, I'll seek out Russian people from across all walks of life to share perspectives, to relay American values, and to deepen my long-held appreciation for Russia's rich and fascinating history and culture. As I have done in previous assignments, I look forward to meeting with civil society leaders, including those in the religious and human rights communities. While the Russian government has sought to limit U.S. public diplomacy, our diplomatic mission in Russia continues to engage ordinary Russians and thought leaders and maintains a diverse outreach approach. I plan to take part in that effort as I strongly believe cultural understanding is enriched by an open and respectful exchange of ideas and thoughts. I look forward to meeting as many Russian citizens as possible during my travels throughout this great country. Fourth, but certainly not last in importance, I will work to ensure the safety and security of my team, America's team, who work tirelessly on behalf of our nation. Despite Russia's actions against U.S. mission diplomatic staffing, the team, both the Americans and the Russian staff, continues to serve with professionalism and an unwavering commitment under difficult conditions. In particular, I want to pay tribute to outgoing Ambassador John Teft, one of the Foreign Service's finest, for his dedicated leadership and courage under challenging times. I will be honored to work side-by-side with the mission team to ensure the continued critical work of the U.S. diplomatic and consular mission. I also want to extend my personal appreciation for those Americans and Russians who serve at the U.S. mission and have since left because our staff has been cut short by the Russian government's unfortunate decision. Mr. Chairman, Mr. Ranking Member and members of the committee, thank you for the opportunity to appear before you. I welcome your comments and your questions.
0: Thank you very much. Senator Carden.
4: Well, Governor Huntsman, I must tell you I listened to a lot of statements made by nominees. I thought your statement was as clear and uh, as direct on the major issues, and I applaud you for that. And I appreciate your candor with the committee and the manner in which you have presented the challenges that you would have if confirmed as ambassador. I might tell you our staffs always give us ser- a series of areas that they want us to question on, make sure there's clarity. And in each of those cases, you've already provided clarity in your opening statement, but that won't prevent me from asking a couple questions anyway. Uh, let me uh, just um, move on to the human rights issues that you and I talked about that you mentioned in your statement. Our concern is not with the Russian people. The Russian people are good people that want basic freedom. Our issue is with the Russian government that's denied basic rights to its own citizens and has interfered uh, with the sovereignty of other countries. You mentioned that you would be meeting with leaders in the civil societies and be a platform for that type of of, of discussion. How do you intend to um, uh, use people-to-people contact between Russians and Americans and using our embassy in order to further the hopes Uh, And to answer that question, let me just tell you that I am impressed when I meet with Russians, and I've met with a lot of Russians, where they really do look at the United States as their hope for their future and giving them an avenue in order to be able to keep hope alive in in Russia. How do you intend to use the position as ambassador, our embassy in Moscow, to further those objectives? Uh,
5: Thank you for that. Uh, question, Senator Cardin, and I very much enjoyed the conversation that we were able to have together uh, in your office. Uh, For me, the United States mission, whether the embassy or consulates, in this case three throughout Russia, should be seen as beacons of hope, aspirational for the Russian people, as I know they were for the Chinese people when I served there. Uh, The term or title of ambassador. although it might get you in a couple of doors that otherwise you might not get in, should also be seen as aspirational and tied to U.S. values. I've worn this title before. I've seen when you actually express those values and go to the aid of those who are uh, under assault from their governments, they find that there's hope in what America does. And I found that to be, Senator, our most powerful weapon at the end of the day. I hope to use it effectively, I hope to use it tactically, I hope to use it tastefully, Uh, but there is one certainty, and I will be out and I will be active in promoting America's values as part of who I am, as part of my family, as part of my upbringing, and I think it's part of the American tradition. Uh, And I'll never forget uh, visiting one case in China, if you would allow me the reflection, Um, a young woman who had been beaten because uh, her home had been torn down by the Chinese authorities. Uh, There was no petitioning of government. There was no appeal process. It was just gone. She took up the issue herself and was uh, beaten for it and paid a price. And I went to visit her one day in her humble little apartment, uh, the ambassador's car driving through the back alleyways where an ambassador's car shouldn't be. And I walked into her little room. She had been cut off from the internet and a lot of other things, and, and she had a tear in her eye. And I know it was not because Mr. Huntsman uh, arrived, but rather because the United States had arrived. And I could tell just by being with her that that meant the world, where nobody else would show up. Nobody else would stand behind people who don't have that kind of support locally. And it meant the world. And it's... it's. Uh, Reflections like that, that I carry with me every day of my life, and I'm reminded of uh, the values that we stand for, whether Republican or Democrat, and I will ensure that our embassy and our missions shine that light in a way that is aspirational, that is positive, and that does represent the best of the United States.
4: And I can assure you, you have this committee that stands with you in these struggles, and please feel comfortable in working directly with us on advancing those issues. I want to raise just one more issue uh, to let you know that we are deeply concerned about the security of our mission in Russia. We know that there have been efforts made to deal with the safety of our personnel in in an appropriate way. Uh, There have been, of course, incursions into listening devices in different places to try to compromise the U.S. mission. So we, we invite your uh, assessment, you, you mentioned this, the safety of your personnel. We want you to know that we hope that you'll be very candid with Congress as to needs so that we can work together to make sure those that are on the front line of diplomacy have the protections
5: that they need. Uh, thank you, Senator. Uh, the, the unfortunate decision by the Russian government to cut our staff significantly, uh, Uh, will impact uh, our ability to carry on anything representing a normal relationship. Uh, Although I have every confidence that those who remain, uh, the 455, now that we've met what the Russians have demanded to be a sense of parity, that they, being among the best and brightest in the Foreign Service and other departments and agencies, will carry out the mission in a flawless way. I have no doubt about that. I've seen it happen before. For me as chief of mission, Mission security and mission integrity will be top of the list with your support and endorsement. Once I arrive at mission, the first order of business really is to assess what the cutdowns, cutbacks and personnel have meant in terms of overall security. Um, because security has an impact on our ability to do the work, which has an impact on overall operating morale of any embassy, and I've seen them over the years. When missions can operate at a high level of morale, things get done, and the work of the American people uh, get, uh, get accomplished. So mission safety will be top of, top of mind for me. Yeah. It always has been. I know we have some challenges, particularly as it relates to the harassment of some of our diplomats, which unfortunately continues.
6: Thank you.
0: Very good. Senator
6: Flight. Well, thank you, Mr. Chairman, and thank you, Ambassador Huntsman, for, for being here, and thank you to the family as well. We've had the... Uh, uh, Privileged to know the Huntsmans for quite a while. We lived n- near them in Vienna, Virginia, back in nineteen, well, ninety-two uh, or ninety to ninety-two, I believe. And my wife Cheryl even taught one of the girls piano right there. So uh, anyway, it, it, it's just a pleasure to, to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. And and uh, I just want to. Thank you for your willingness to serve and thank the family for their willingness to sacrifice, uh, not just this time, uh, but uh, many times in the past as well for your public service. And it is a family, uh, you know, a family sacrifice, certainly, and, uh, and that is appreciated. Let me just uh, say uh, or ask one question. What can Congress do to help you succeed in your mission on behalf of the United States in Russia?
5: Thank you, Senator Flake. It's a pleasure to see you again. And thank you for the lake—the musical legacy that your family left in my own family, which <laughs> continues to live on as our daughter, Mary Ann just returned from performing Rachmaninoff's second concerto uh, in China. Uh, and we hope to get I her I think she did that on sometime.
6: the second <laughs> lesson. Uh, that <laughs> was not it, yeah.
5: It's, it's a far cry from what her dad used to play. Um, you know, I think allowing me the opportunity to. Re- return and report on the key issues, whether they be Ukraine, Syria, DPRK, arms control, human rights, Magnitsky Act, because I think we're all going to have to be together. This is executive and legislative with respect to the last round of sanctions, because you'll have a significant role in how that goes. And you're then going to have to base your decisions on input from the ground, uh, from, from somebody on site. You'll get all the information you need to read. But having somebody at post who can maybe help provide a different perspective will be important. So just the very thought, Senator, that we could work together going forward and maintain an open dialogue with you and your, your staffs on whether there's progress on these issues. Because if there's progress, we need to move the relationship to it uh, uh, a uh, bit of a higher altitude. Right now, we're uh, at at a low point. It reminds me a little bit of 1986, and I remember that year. Uh, we can't stay at the 1986 level forever. It doesn't serve the purposes of the region or the world well, nor does it serve the purposes of people on both in both countries. So working on those issues together, allowing me uh, a fair hearing when I return to report on progress so that we can see if, in fact, there's reason to move the relationship to a different level. I think that has to be done as a joint effort between executive and legislative
6: uh, branches. In terms of congressional travel to Russia, uh, delegations from the Senate and the House, is that helpful?
5: I will just share one uh, experience I had in China where very few CODELs traveled because it was a tough gig. A tough assignment and it was not easy always to explain to your constituents why you had down right. to China. I, uh, I brought forward to some of your colleagues uh, the idea that maybe we could organize a large bipartisan Republicans and Democrat uh, Codel. and they spent three days uh, it was uh, Johnny Isaacson, Senator Isaacson was part of that uh, and I just discussed it with him the other day he still remembers that trip. Mm-hmm. Three days They were able to articulate at the highest elected levels of the United States some of our concerns around these issues in ways that the Chinese really understood in in new and profoundly important ways. And it left a a lasting impression uh, on both sides. And I would say that if we could maybe organize some such mission, bipartisan, uh, we have some very important messages to send and to receive. Uh, I would very much welcome that opportunity as well.
6: Thank you, Mr. Chairman.
7: John, uh, thank you so much. Nobody has to convince me of your ability to serve. You and I worked together when you were in China and, uh, and helped us uh, in Idaho uh, uh, considerably. Um, let, me, let me say that uh, probably one of the most confounding things for the American people is to understand that uh, uh, in the position that you're in with Russia, we have some issues with Russia which would be an understatement, uh, to say the least. Having said that, we've also got to deal with Russia. And I I think probably the biggest challenge uh, that you're going to be facing, that we're all going to be facing, is to muster them to assist with the North Korean situation. Uh, The world's got to turn uh, against North Korea in a very united fashion, and uh, it's going to take both Russia and China. They've already indicated uh, at least willingness to help. But um, there's a lot of people think this can't end well on the trajectory it's on. So we're going to need everybody together. Do you have some thoughts on that uh, as as we move, uh, as you move into this position?
5: Uh, specific to DPRK?
7: Specifically to DPRK. Uh,
5: th- this falls into the category, the side of the balance sheet that represents uh, Issues where we have some uh, overlapping and common interests, and I think we should always take the time to explore where we have overlapping and common interests. I I think one is DPRK. We take different approaches, and we have different attitudes about denuclearizing the Korean Peninsula, but I think ultimately we want greater safety in that region, Uh, and I think both countries share real concerns around proliferation. So that brings us together with Russia for purposes of addressing DPRK. I think the last round of sanctions um, was an expression of the United Nations Security Council coming together with the most aggressive approach to North Korea I think in history and that included Russia and it included China Uh, and it's targeting areas of North Korea's economy that I think are most lucrative for them Uh, and if the sanctions are actually implemented, and that will be part of our work once we're on the ground, it will take a toll on things like trade in textiles, which is maybe an $800 million category for North Korea. Uh, Trade in uh, raw materials of gas and oil, which is a large uh, product or a large uh, money category as well. And the remittances from workers in the case of Russia may be 50 or 60,000, which is another large cash flow item for North Korea. So I'm heartened by the support on the last round of sanctions, just September 11th, uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, And we'll see if that isn't a start where we can really come together more and more in addressing this significant threat, not just to Northeast Asia, but indeed to the world.
7: Thank you. I appreciate your thoughts on that. And we're all hopeful that uh, the sanctions will be helpful in that regard. And certainly, uh, they're, they're about as strict a sanctions as you can get. The difficulty is, of course... You have a regime that really doesn't care much about the people that uh, that they govern, and uh, so the question is uh, uh, the sa- how how effective are the sanctions going to be on leadership versus on the people? And um, unfortunately, they've they've shown in the past that the sanctions uh, uh, hasn't been a good. Uh, Conduct changer as it would be in in other civilized nations. So, w- although we're hopeful, um, I think we have to think about what uh, what the next step's going to be, and, uh, and that that's not going to be pretty. There's no question about that. Well, thank you very much uh, for coming. I, uh, I ask, are there any further questions? Well, I see Hi. none.
5: So, uh, I hope we didn't scare everyone away. Uh,
7: We uh, we are just starting a vote on the on the floor of the Senate. So we're going I'm going to adjourn this hearing. Excuse you and your beautiful family and those of, uh, who've come here to hear this. Again, we sincerely appreciate uh, your willingness to serve, uh, John. Thank you so much. With that, committee, be at ease, subject to the call to the chair. The committee will come back to order, and we will finish up with the uh, Honorable John Huntsman's uh, hearing. And I understand, Senator Shaheen, you have a comment. Question?
8: Yes, thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. Uh, First of all, I would like to thank Governor Huntsman for his willingness to continue to serve the country and also for taking... Few minutes to meet with me. I very much appreciated our conversation. And um, I know that one of the things we discussed a little bit was um, the challenges given Russia's attempt to influence our elections in 2016, their occupation of Ukraine, the annexation of Crimea, some of the other challenges facing um, Russian aggression in the Baltics and eastern Europe and the need to counter those efforts and at the same time the need to look at places where we can work with Russia because we have mutual interests. So can you, can you talk about how as ambassador um, you will try and balance those two needs and um, the kinds of efforts that you think are helpful in responding to Russian aggression versus the kinds of efforts that um, you would employ to try and engage with them on areas of mutual interest.
7: John, if you put your microphone on. There we go. Thank you,
5: Senator Shaheen. It it was a pleasure most recently to see you. Um, I think we have to convince Russia both uh, bilaterally and uh, multilaterally, through our friends and allies, particularly NATO, that uh, aggression doesn't pay. Uh, And there will be a response. Uh, We've already seen that uh, in the case of Crimea, uh, 2014, uh, in the case of uh, Ukraine, in the eastern provinces of Donbass. And of course, we don't need to go back too far uh, previous to that, 2008, in the case of uh, Georgia. With, uh, with South Ossetia. Uh, and, and so we've got the challenges of the constant pushing that is taking place in Europe. Uh, we have friends and allies who uh, we support uh, and whose uh, sovereignty we stand behind from a security standpoint. Uh, and I think we have to live up uh, and respect those commitments, which I think is the case. So w- we have that going on at the same time we have areas of overlapping and and common common interests. And I think as with any challenging relationship, and I would say that in the case of Russia, it's a challenging but necessary relationship. We have to be at the table together. We have to find common ground. We have to solve problems. We have to move to a higher altitude, no question about it. But part of that effort is to show that we can succeed in what we do together. Uh, And there may be some early signs of success, for example, in Syria with uh, the uh, attempt to disarm and quiet uh, the southwestern region just south of Damascus. Uh, It's still early days, but there may be some uh, successes from there. I think DPRK is another area where we can find that there are successes. Um, In the case of uh, Ukraine, we, we are nowhere. And I would have to say that a lot of the main highway that leads to an improvement in US-Russia relations, I think goes right through Ukraine. Uh, and that is uh, living up and respecting the, the Minsk accord uh, through the Normandy process that uh, right now is actively being worked by Ambassador Volker or special representative for Ukraine affairs. It's a critically important issue, not just for Ukraine for the region, but for people here in the United States. So so that will be an important area. And then we have issues such as space, which, for example, it must be the level of oxygen when you're at that level, maybe no oxygen at all that keeps us together <laughs> in, a, in a collaborative fashion. This has been a great success between the United States uh, and Russia. Uh, the Arctic, for example. Uh, lies out there is another issue that I think we're going to have to come together on, and uh, maybe in ways that are positive. So I I see the balance sheet. I see the need to come up with a very clear and crisp uh, list of priorities that we can meet on, we can hopefully make some progress on, and I can return to you and report on.
8: Thank you. As Ambassador, can you talk about whether you are going to be willing to continue to meet with um, opposition figures in Russia and dissidents who may not agree with um, the Putin reign?
5: That has always been my practice uh, at uh, every other post I have managed, and it will continue to be
7: my practice. Yes, Senator.
8: Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Gene. Senator Coons. Um,
9: Thank you. Um, And Ambassador, uh, Governor, um, I really just wanted to come back um, to this uh, restarted hearing Uh, to compliment you as one of the the very highest quality nominees for an ambassadorial post I have seen in my seven years on the Foreign Relations Committee. Uh, In our uh, personal meeting and then in your opening statement, uh, I think you represent the very best uh, of public service uh, and of leadership at home and abroad, and you have answered clearly, forcefully, and directly a whole series of questions um, I had for you. Uh, whether about your willingness to continue meeting with opposition figures, standing up for human rights, the value of our uh, Western European allies, uh, many others. So uh, to you and to Mary Kay, um, to your beautiful family, thank you for your dedication to public service. Um, Let me ask two or three questions, um, but I look forward to supporting uh, your nomination uh, in any event. Um, How do you think we could more successfully counter Russian disinformation campaigns in Western Europe And uh, as we talked about in my office, um, our core challenge here is raising the costs for Russia of their continued interference um, and of their continued illegal actions uh, in Ukraine and in other places in the world. Um, And do you think it is critical that we maintain sanctions on Russia until they end their destabilizing actions in in Ukraine and end meddling in European elections? Um, Or could you imagine a path where we would lighten some sanctions and not others – Obviously, given the action of this committee, uh, we would have a hand in any decision on that front.
5: My sense, Senator, and and thank you so very much for those those warm comments uh, that you previously made. I think Ukraine becomes very much a centerpiece here when we look at sanctions. We have maybe five rungs of sanctions when you count the Magnitsky Act as well. And I think a lot of the barometer on where the relationship goes will be based on Ukraine and the kind of success we have in, in the Donbas area, living up to the Minsk Accord. So I, when I think about the different sanctions that are there, some from Crimea, uh, some from Eastern Ukraine, some are a result of meddling in our uh, election, uh, some tied to Magnitsky uh, and more human rights focused, I really do see the Ukraine issue as being uh, critically important as a barometer of whether or not we can uh, make progress in our bilateral relationship. Uh, with respect to the kind of hybrid warfare that we're seeing, uh, which includes malign activity, uh, goes well beyond conventional uh, warfare that uh, my generation was accustomed to, as was yours growing up, uh, where you put equipment on the field and you practice, you train, and you hopefully never have to go to war, to what we see today, which is uh, very different and it includes uh, disinformation campaigns, networks that are dedicated to the dissemination of uh, news of different sources, um, uh, where we see the support of uh, political movements uh, on the extreme end, uh, for example, um, all, all kind of in, in the category of malign activities that are now focused on uh, uh, Europe and specifically the periphery just adjacent to uh, Russia's western border. You know, I think the first order of business, Senator, is to recognize that it does exist and not to be delusional about it. And then to say, what is the nature of this uh, hybrid uh, uh, campaign? What toll or what cost is it taking on the very survivability of maybe a nascent democracy? Uh, Because I think that's the target, to undercut the credibility of the political system which is the most nefarious approach that one can take uh, to another nation state. And then I think we have to say what are the options in terms of the tools that one might have. There may be some options on the technology side with the private sector that would be worth looking at and I think that we always ought to be exploring uh, private sector technology approaches. Uh, But then I think the work that you are doing with uh, others uh, including Senator Murphy um, Uh, on really funding some efforts that would maybe produce a counter-narrative is really important. And I know it may seem to be a a drop in the bucket or a start as compared to what we're we're up against, but it is a start, and I think that's important to begin to work our way through what ultimately a longer-term solution might look like.
9: Well, I appreciate uh, in your written statement, in your opening statement, and in our private conversation, the clarity and the forcefulness Uh, of your view about Russia's malign actions in our election, in the region, against our alliances in Western Europe, um, the ongoing threat they pose to human rights both at home uh, and around the world, uh, and your commitment uh, to joining with us in working to advance American values in this context. So I very much look forward to working with you. Thank you.
7: Thank you, Senator. Senator Murphy.
10: Uh, thank you very much, uh, Mr. Chairman. I always appreciate uh, my name being name-dropped in an answer to another senator's question. Uh, appreciate that, that, that. That. That's called pandering in politics. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking ahead. It'll get you
7: everywhere. <laughs> uh,
10: thank you very much, uh, Governor, for uh, taking on this responsibility. I really enjoyed the conversation that we had, and I do appreciate your commitment to the Global Engagement Center. Center. Senator Portman and I uh, are very pleased uh, that the administration, uh, after some... Question has now transferred $40 million to help set up that capacity to help uh, young nations build independent and objective media. And I think that you will be instrumental in helping figure out how that plays out going forward. Um, with that being said, let me, um, let me ask a little thornier question here. Uh, I really appreciated your clear statement uh, regarding Russian interference in uh, the US election. But I want to put the sort of elephant out on the table here. You're going to be working for a president who has done the opposite, who has very intentionally over and over again cast doubt uh, on whether the Russians interfered in this election. He said, it's all a big dem hoax. It's all a big dem scam. When he was in Poland earlier this year, he said it could have been Russia, but it could have been a lot of other people. And the results are real. Um, The latest poll suggests that 43% of Americans don't believe that Russia interfered in the U.S. election. And, you know, importantly, only about 9% of Republicans believe that Russia interfered. Um, And so uh, just let me ask you that, because everybody's wondering. um, How do you represent to the Russians uh, your belief that and all of our belief, that they unquestionably interfered in the U.S. election when your boss, the President of the United States, is engaged in a fairly intentional campaign to, at the very least, cloud the issue? How do you manage that?
5: I think it's, uh, it's a fair uh, question, Senator. I think it's important to note that the ODNI has spoken, uh, Their Director of National Intelligence. It's a, it's a powerful symbol when you get the director of national intelligence, the director of the CIA, the head of the NSA, the head of the FBI, who come together in unison behind their findings. As a consumer of their material for some years, I I very rarely see them come together in such a coordinated fashion of, of one mind and one conclusion. So I think that expresses where the facts are with respect to Russia's involvement in our election. But I have to say that for me as a former uh, governor, as as Governor Kane was, uh, you're, you're tasked with the integrity of your election system. Sometimes as a Lieutenant Governor, sometimes as Secretary of State, you have nothing more important than the integrity of your il- election process at the localist of levels. And to work to undercut or subvert or sow seeds of doubt or distrust about that system uh, is the highest level of injury that I think can, can be uh, laid on, on any local election system. So I will speak to it, not just as a US ambassador to Russia, but also as somebody who had responsibility for the integrity of elections in my state.
10: Uh, I thank you for that answer. I just don't want us to normalize this moment. I think your job will be made very difficult by the fact that you will put pressure on the Russians to stop interfering in our elections and others while you have a president of the United States who is actively, actively trying to uh, cloud this question and often uses his personal communication device to call it a hoax. And I just don't want us to normalize what is happening today, where our diplomats are towing one line and the president is towing a completely different one on his Twitter feed. And I greatly appreciate that people of your capacity are willing to do these jobs. But your job is made uniquely and, un- and uh, uniquely hard in a very unprecedented way. In my last thirty seconds, just get a commitment from you to follow up on something we talked about in my office. Um, we. Um, Senator Sheehan and and, and I and Senator Cardin and others, uh, actually Senator Risch, we we talk about the Balkans uh, a a, a lot here, but not a a lot of other people uh, do globally. Uh, This is where wars have started. Um, It's a place that remains very unstable. And in the last six months since this president took office and signaled that we were sort of exiting the diplomatic playing field, Uh, Russia has gone into the Balkans with gangbusters. They have started buying up all sorts of media sources. They have started paying off new and interesting people. Um, I just wanted to uh, have you reiterate your commitment amongst all of the things you're going to be paying attention to in Moscow uh, to make sure to keep an eye on, for us, uh, increased Russian interference in the Balkans. It's a very destable place um, that could be made much more unstable if we don't check that interference.
5: You have my commitment, Senator. Uh, The Balkans is uh, uh, an example of uh, what we've described earlier, specifically when you point to Serbia and uh, Kosovo. When we leave a vacuum behind, things happen. And I think this is an example of what has happened in that vacuum. I will watch it, I've taken note of it, and it will certainly be part of my discussions.
7: Thank you. Senator Kane. Thank you, Mr.
11: Chair, and Governor, welcome. Um, you, you are superbly qualified for this position. I look forward to supporting your nomination. Um, very tough job, I'm glad the President asked you to do it. Um, so I was involved in some of the circumstances that Senator Murphy was asking about, and I'll switch and tell you an interesting irony. While I was a, a candidate uh, in, an, in an election that's been much discussed, For these reasons. My son was deployed uh, in the European Reassurance Initiative. His entire Marine battalion was deployed between the Black and the Baltic to try to help reassure our allies on the border with Russia that the United States was still there for them and would help protect them against Russia. And I want to ask you about that because I'm going to be following up with the next nominee on similar questions. In your capacity as Ambassador to Russia, should you be confirmed, you'll also have the opportunity to dialogue with other European nations, ambassadors in Russia. And I think an important part of your job uh, is going to be working uh, as you can with the Russian government to make sure that we advance and protect uh, nations on their border that are currently under serious assault in many domains by Russia. I wonder if you could just address that aspect of how you might approach that aspect of your job.
5: My, my approach, Senator, will be to work with uh, our friends and allies in Europe, specifically the G5, uh, who I think are very dedicated to the issues that are prominently on our security agenda. We all know the vulnerable states. They're right on the periphery, mm-hmm. uh, and they need the help and support that NATO and specifically the United States can provide. I think we're better and stronger when we're coordinating with those who are regionally focused and on the ground and maybe have a slightly different perspective. Uh, And I learned this while serving in China in working with the G5 in in other contexts, including North Korea, including the South China Sea. Uh, And I would fully expect to uh, consult on a regular basis with my G5 colleagues to make sure that we are plugged into uh, the work of the Supreme Allied Commander uh, in Europe, uh, General Scipriati. Uh, along with the NATO command as well. Uh, I very much want to make visits to both those areas to ensure that we are all of one mind as it relates to, for example, understanding the last training exercise that is playing out in Belarus, even Mm -hmm. as we sit here, that will go on through September 20th. Uh, I'm not sure that they have invoked the Vienna documents that are required as far as transparency is concerned. But it may be that they should have. Nobody quite knows exactly the numbers of troops involved uh, or exactly how this is likely to play out. Uh, that, that's not good. That does not serve the interests of security and stability in Europe. So I, th- I think we're together on the issues that will matter most and I look forward to working with our friends and allies on, on these very issues.
11: You also will have a very unique perspective having been ambassador to China, China and Russia both being such critical nations and. Both nations where we have many points of disagreement, but there are areas where we need to work together. For example, we had a briefing recently, though it was classified, this portion of it wasn't. It was about North Korea, and the Trump administration national security officials said over and over again, we are pursuing diplomacy if we can, if it's a 10% chance or a 5% chance or a 3% chance. Uh, We need to pursue diplomacy and a diplomatic resolution of the situation of North Korea? And I assume you share that view. Would you also share my view that uh, pursuing a diplomatic resolution with North Korea would likely involve uh, having Russia and China involved in those discussions?
5: Russia and China were both, of course, original members of the six-party talks, discussions that I participated in while in Beijing. They're both critical members of that process. China, of course, is absolutely indispensable in terms of delivering messages and controlling the flow of goods in and out of North Korea. They have influence uh, and clout that no other nation state has in Pyongyang. I think second to that would be Moscow. And therefore, the dialogue with Russia on DPRK, on denuclearization, on calming the region down is absolutely critical. And to, to think that we were able to get a United Nations Security Council resolution on September 11th.
11: Right, without a veto.
5: that speaks yeah. without, without a veto. Mm-hmm. That speaks to nailing uh, textiles and apparel, an $800 million category, gas and oil, remittances of 50 to 60,000 North Koreans in Russia, which is worth hundreds of millions of dollars. These are big deals. So for us, it really comes down to, are the sanctions going to be implemented? And that's where we've had difficulties in the past. Will China do what they've signed up to do? Will Russia do what they've signed up to do? And that, that's where you roll up your sleeves
11: and you get to work. Might I ask one more question, Mr. Chair, or should I need to wait for a second round?
7: Well, you know, uh, please be brief, because we do have, right. we have another uh, many we have to
11: wrap up uh, I'll be very
5: brief. That's br- called gubernatorial right we'll
7: privilege. I'll, I'll
11: be very
5: brief. We are going to have
7: questions for the record. Uh, right. we'll, I'll, be,
11: I'll be very brief. Um, having acknowledged that China and Russia would be critical if there was a an ability to find a nuclear deal of some kind with North Korea. You would also agree with me, would you not, that their belief about whether or not the U.S. would follow a deal if we reached it, that could be important to them in determining how much they wanted to work with us to press for a deal.
5: Well, obviously, there are trust issues all around, right? and they, they, they constantly have to be worked on to right. shore up that trust deficit. Uh, the deployment of THAAD, for example, most recently, among other things, is causing consternation
12: mm-hmm.
9: uh,
5: with both China and Russia. But uh, you know, we've worked together successfully in the six-party context. So I have seen examples of where three of us can, in fact, take on an issue, share information, work from a common sheet, a common playbook, and try to get things done. Right.
7: Thanks for your continued willingness to serve. Thank you. Uh, Governor, Ambassador, thank you so much uh, for taking this uh, big responsibility on. Thank you for your fam- to your family who are also willing to undertake those sacrifices. For and the uh, committee... Uh, and Mr.
4: Chairman, I just want to thank the Governor also. And just one thing that Senator Kane said, enforcement of the sanctions North Korea, very important. Enforcement of the sanctions against Russia, very important. So we're going to need your help in enforcing the sanctions. We already see in regards to a sale with Turkey that the sanctions may be, in fact, being violated. So we're going to need your attentions if we're going to be effective in the messaging and action against Russia. Tough thank balancing you.
7: act. Thank uh, you, for members of the committee, we will uh, keep the record open until the close of business on Thursday, and that includes members' ability to submit questions for the record. So again, thank you so much, and you and your family are free to go. Thank you. Mr. Mitchell, would you care to join us?
4: Yeah. It's a big family. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all.
6: You lost half our audience. <laughs> yeah. We <laughs> don't have to pay your dinner,
7: Mr. Mitchell, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I'm, uh, you the, the position that uh, you've been nominated for is certainly uh, an important position, and I apologize for our time today. We're we're going to be on a bit of a short string since we have a vote that starts. Uh, uh, shortly afternoon. So instead of making an opening statement, I, I don't want to preach on about Europe and how important it is to us, but uh, I'm going to pass on that and get to your opening statement. But first, uh, Mr.
4: I've already commented a little bit earlier, so we can get okay. right
7: to the witness. Thank you. So, Mr. Mitchell, the floor is yours.
12: <clears throat> well, thank you, uh, Senator Reich. And let me also say how much I appreciated earlier Senator Cornyn from my home state of Texas giving me a very warm introduction, and I'm honored to have his backing. Uh, Chairman Corker, Ranking Member Cardin, members of the committee, it's a real privilege to appear before you today as nominee for the position of Assistant Secretary of State for European and Eurasian Affairs. I'm thankful to President Trump and also uh, Secretary Tillerson for the confidence that they have placed in me to undertake this important role. I'm proud to have uh, here with me today a a support battalion, uh, my family members, uh, my wife Elizabeth, our children, Wesley and Charlotte, I think are terrorizing folks in the hallway. Uh, So I apologize to anyone who has experienced that today. Uh, My mom, Dessa Mitchell, my aunt, Cindy Harris, and my father and mother-in-law, Ed and Linda Leon. Uh, As Senator Cornyn said, I am a sixth-generation Texan. I'm the first person in my family in more than 150 years to pursue a career north of the Red River. Uh, Like my wife, who is a 13-year veteran of the Department of Defense, I came to Washington to serve my country. Twelve years ago, I co-founded the Center for European Policy Analysis, a think tank that is now widely recognized for the quality of its research and analysis on Central Europe. Uh, As President and CEO, I have overseen SEPA's growth into a truly transatlantic organization with offices in Washington and Warsaw uh, and personnel in several European countries. In this role, I have built close and effective relationships with senior leaders across the NATO alliance. I've had the honor of working with previous assistant secretaries and seeing the skill Uh, dedication and patriotism of the men and women of the Bureau of European and Eurasian Affairs, and I have worked closely with many of you and your staffs on this committee on some of the most important recent pieces of legislation affecting America's relations with Europe and Russia. What animates my work is the belief that America's alliances are the backbone of our strength and influence as a great power. Seventy years ago, Americans helped to create a new Western order grounded in Atlantic cooperation. They did so because they understood that America has an enduring strategic interest in removing what an earlier generation of U.S. policymakers called the fire trap of geopolitics in the western rimlands of Eurasia. This region was the birthplace of three global wars in the 20th century, two hot and one cold. The alliance that we built after 1945 and uh, expanded after 1989 laid the foundation for unprecedented freedom, stability, and prosperity in much of the world. As President Trump said in Warsaw, there is nothing like this community of nations. We must have the courage and desire to preserve it. If confirmed, I will view as my central task the preservation and strengthening of the Western Alliance to ensure that my young children are able to enjoy the benefits of peace and abundance that we have known in our lifetimes. If confirmed, my first priority will be to give weight and substance to the administration's affirmation of America's commitment to Article 5 of NATO. Our allies, especially frontline states between the Baltic and Black Seas, must know that the defense of the West rests on an unwavering commitment and covenant. To be credible, it requires a strong forward posture and a willingness by all allies, including the largest and wealthiest European states, to bear their full share in defense spending. The The fight against ISIS must also be an urgent priority. We need all allies to assist robustly in defeating ISIS, to share information on terrorist threats, and address the sources of migration and extremism in North Africa. We must work closely with Europe on Syria, Iran, and North Korea, and rally support for the new U.S. strategy in Afghanistan. And we must work to keep Turkey, long the linchpin of NATO's southern flank, firmly anchored in the transatlantic community. In both the East and South, we must be sober-minded about Russia. It's in the interests of the American and Russian peoples to lower tensions between the world's two largest nuclear powers. At the same time, the Russian government must understand that a return to normal relations will be impossible as long as it attacks its neighbors, abuses its people, and attempts to undermine confidence in America's institutions and those of our allies. If confirmed, I will urge Moscow to cease its destabilizing activities in Ukraine and to end its support for hostile regimes in Syria and Iran. America is greatest when our alliances are strong and our trade is vibrant. If confirmed, I will work to strengthen the trillion-dollar transatlantic economy that gives jobs to millions of Americans. I will build on the administration's efforts to help Europe enhance its energy security through diversification of energy sources and routes, and highlight the viability of American LNG as an option for these efforts. In all of these areas, we must be clear about what we stand for as an alliance. The glue that holds us together is greater than a treaty or a set of institutional rules. It is the glue of a common civilization, the West, grounded in freedom, democracy, and rule of law, and united by bonds of culture and shared sacrifice. As Secretary Tillerson said, American leadership requires moral clarity. We are strongest when our values and those of our allies are aligned, and when we hold our rivals accountable for human rights abuses at home. If confirmed, I will use the relationships I have forged in Europe. Among the talented staff of the State Department, and here on Capitol Hill to advance U.S. interests, values, and prosperity in Europe, and I will use the leadership skills gained at CEPA to help realize Secretary Tillerson's vision of making every State Department dollar count for the American taxpayer. I'm humbled to be considered for this position, Mr. Chairman, uh, Mr. Ranking Member, and members of the committee. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. I welcome your questions and comments.
7: Thank you very much, Mr. Mitchell. Uh, Senator Cardin.
4: Uh, Mr. M- Mitchell, welcome. And again, as I told you, I very much appreciate your willingness to serve our country. The Obama administration takes pride that they were able to get Europe to have consistent sanctions against Iran that the United States initially brought forward. And they have right to have that pride because that was the effective leverage on Iran to get them to sit down and negotiate, no question about it. But I want to take you back a little bit in history in this committee, when Congress passed the enhanced sanctions against Iran The administration was not quite as excited as we were taking up that sanction legislation because it took away some of the flexibility that any administration likes to have. After it passed, they recognized that it gave them additional strength in dealing with our European partners to get tough sanctions against Iran that ultimately led to negotiations. My point is with Russia, We're in a very similar situation. This Congress has spoken with a very, very strong voice, 98 to 2 in the United States Senate. These are tough sanctions, and it gives the president a much stronger hand, but he's got to play the hand. You're going to be the key person in the administration working with our European partners to get consistency in the sanctions imposed by the United States and Europe against Russia so they know that the impact on their economy will be much stronger if they don't change course in their behavior against Europe and the United States. Do we have your commitment that you're going to carry out not only the law but carry out with enthusiasm these tools that are available to get Europe consistent with the United States in imposing additional sanctions Mm. against Russia?
12: Well, thank you for that question, Senator, and I enjoyed the time that we had together and I wanna thank you for your leadership, particularly on uh, human rights issues and Helsinki Commission. Uh, The countering American rivals through Sanctions Act, as you say, this was a 98 to two vote and reflected the will of the American people. I think the secretary has been clear he views it in that light Uh, and uh, President Trump said in Warsaw of Russia that this is a country that tests our will, undermines our confidence, and challenges our interests. If I'm confirmed, you have my commitment to executing uh, and implementing the terms of this legislation as it was intended, obviously in close coordination with the Secretary.
4: I thank you for that answer, but I want you to go further than that. I want you to work with European allies So they have consistent sanctions. One of the things we frequently hear about is that if we don't get, same thing with North Korea, if we don't get consistency on sanctions, you can drive a a truck through the, uh, the, 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 the economic penalties. So we need Europe, which is closer with Russia on economic activity, to follow U.S. leadership. That's where I need your help. I shouldn't say I need your help, this country needs your commitment.
12: Well, let me say that I agree fundamentally that our sanctions are most effective when we have unity with the Europeans. And I think in recent years we've seen uh, through both Republican and Democratic administrations a recognition that the utility of our sanctions increases in direct proportion to the scale of our diplomatic engagement with European allies. The tools that Congress has made available are very important tools for raising the costs vis-a-vis. Uh, the Russian government and I think a clear message has been sent through that legislation. I take your point and I particularly want to emphasize the the role that U.S. diplomacy will play with our allies in addressing the concerns that have been raised uh, specifically about Section 232 uh, involving European energy uh, infrastructure and also uh, Section 231 on defense contracts I think these are immediate sources of concern where U.S. diplomacy will need to be very focused on working closely with our European allies to help them understand the nature of the legislation. And as the legislation explicitly states, to be effective, we want this to be coordinated with our allies. And if confirmed, that will be my approach.
4: And of course, we made concessions in both of those areas to deal with the European concerns. The European ministers are in our office, Senator Corker in my office asking for modifications, which we put into the bill to take care of their concerns. They may very well be saying something differently to a different audience, but there is clearly an effort made for that to happen. Mm-hmm. In reviewing the legislation, we found areas where where Europe, in some cases, had stronger sanctions than the United States. We toughened our sanctions to equal what Europe has done. I, I still tell you that... You're going to hear accounts, we can't do this, we can't do this. And then after we all do it, they take credit for saying we finally got unity and we're making a difference. It takes leadership. It takes leadership to make this work. The stakes could never be higher in what Russia is doing today. You're going to be the key person because you're going to get the, the, you're going to be the conduit to all of the different embassies in Europe. And you're going to have ambassadors who are not going to want to be bothered with another thing on their plate. And yet I don't know of a higher priority than what Russia is doing against our interest in getting an effective way uh, for our sanctions to work. My last point would be we expect you to work very closely with this committee on this issue. This is not a partisan issue. As you know, this is clearly an overwhelming support. We need your commitment that you'll work with us and keep us informed as to the progress we're making with Europe and the sanctions against Russia. And last point I would ask is that, you mentioned the Helsinki Commission. On behalf of Senator Wicker, it's it's the regional commission that is directly involved in your portfolio. We would ask that you would cooperate with the Helsinki Commission. You, you actually have representation there, but that you would work with the Helsinki Commission on these issues. So I would ask on both of those cases that you would work with our committee, and work with the Helsinki Commission.
12: Well, I take that to heart, and let me say that uh, I've worked a lot with uh, folks on this committee in the past and their staff. I've also spent time with some of my predecessors in this post, understanding how they approach Congress, and you can expect to see, if I am confirmed, my full engagement. Thank you. Thank you. Senator Shaheen.
8: Thank you, Mr. Chairman and Mr. Mitchell. Congratulations on your nomination, and... On, thank you for your willingness to consider service in this post, um, and I appreciate the time that you spent with me talking about um, the challenges facing our international diplomatic efforts and the State Department itself. You know, you will have a large public diplomacy shop, and the office is charged with implementing Russian policies, as you testified to, and including our efforts to counter Russian disinformation. How do you expect the European Bureau to work with the newly constituted Global Engagement Center to address um, those, the disinformation that is coming from Russia?
12: Well, thank you, Senator, for that question. And I appreciated having the opportunity to spend time with you recently. And. I want to thank you for the leadership that you've shown on so many of the issues that are close to SEPA's heart and the work that we've done, and also for your work on the subcommittee, specifically on the State Department. Uh, I think we have to start by recognizing that in the field of disinformation, uh, the Russian government takes a whole of government approach. It's overt and covert activities, uh, malign influence, both uh, among European allies and and also in the United States. Uh, SIPA and our work was, I, I would like to say, we were a pioneer and calling attention both to the types of methods, strategies for addressing them, and the scale of the detriment that this can do to the fundaments of the West. We also uh, helped with uh, engaging with some of the offices here as the legislation on the GEC process was being crafted. We provided briefings from our analysts and fellows from both here and those that we have in the region. And we've worked very closely with NATO STRATCOM to understand the approach that they're taking and obviously with the new uh, hybrid fusion cell that the European Union is setting up. Uh, I would simply say that for us to be effective in the disinformation space, we have to have a whole-of-government approach. And I think what the legislation provides uh, that Senators Portman and Murphy have put forward is a basis for that, for synchronizing our efforts. And if I'm confirmed, I will work very closely to ensure that the Bureau of European and Eurasian Affairs coordinates closely with the GEC as it turns its focus more towards Russia.
8: And do you think we have a whole-of-government approach at this point?
12: I think we have an awareness that we didn't have in the past. I think we've also learned a lot in the last couple of years, including from our European allies, who have pioneered areas that we can explore for combating this. I think we're moving towards a whole-of-government approach, but I think there is no shortage for that tool and capacity that prompts coordination. And I think that my, my understanding of the mandate given to the GEC and its resources is that it provides that instrument.
8: And do you think it's currently doing that?
12: Well, my understanding of the GEC and its current role, uh, until this mandate was put forward and the resources were put forward, uh, is that it's doing very good work, uh, including on areas other than than Russia. I think it looks at ISIS and other parts of the globe, but I think the new direction and the new resources will increase its capacity to do that more effectively.
8: (laughs) So we had a hearing last week in the Helsinki Commission on this very issue, on disinformation, and focused mostly on Russia, but also on the challenge that that presents to America. The the fact that we have um, a lot of people who really don't question the accuracy of media reports, um, who get news from social media, which may not um, provide a filter for how accurate that news is. Um, and we talked about the issue of who's in charge and the consensus of the people who testified there is that we don't currently have someone in charge of heading up these efforts so not only do we not have a whole-of-government approach we don't have somebody charged with doing this and we don't have somebody currently named to do that so I guess I would ask do you agree with that, and who should take that role? Um, I've had a chance to ask in the Armed Services Committee, um, members of our military, whether um, this is something that they should have a hand in, they used to. Russia has just set up a new unit in their military that has, is responsible for um, information mm. and cyber information. So what I was told is that that's not the role of the military. Um, as you know, after the Cold War, we disbanded the U.S. Information Agency and so much of the apparatus that was designed to counter disinformation. So from your perspective, what's the role of the State Department? Who should lead this effort, and how do we get to that whole-of-government approach?
12: Well, I think that's a very important question. I think we have allies both at the NATO level, at the nation-state level, uh, and at the EU level who are, who are grappling with similar questions, in part because as pluralistic societies who value an open media discussion, we have to balance security and privacy. So I don't think that we're unique or alone in realizing the magnitude of this problem and seeking to understand how we use our tools. Uh, even before the new direction in legislation on GEC, the Bureau of European and Eurasian Affairs has been active on this issue, uh, providing resources for media training uh, in uh, countries of Central and Eastern Europe. Uh, working to increase uh, cyber defenses in the period since the interference in the elections. I would say that uh, what uh, moving forward, what's important is that now that it's been made clear that the Global Engagement Center will have this as an invigorated mandate, that as uh, the resources come into place and leadership comes into place for GEC, I think uh, coordination within the department, obviously with the bureau, because of the vast reservoir of expertise on the situation on the ground, which I think will be indispensable for the GEC to be able to do do its job well, but also in the interagency process. Uh, Beyond that, not being privy to where the administration wants to take that specific set of issues, uh, I wouldn't want to speculate further, but I will say that I strongly support the new direction of the GEC and would be committed, if I'm confirmed, to ensuring its close coordination with the Bureau.
8: Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Sarah
9: um, Thank you, Mr. Mitchell, uh, for your willingness to serve. Um, thank your family. Uh, I thank your family as well for your willingness uh, to support uh, Mr. Mitchell in his service. Let me ask you two questions, if I might. Um, first, I haven't had a chance to review all of President Trump's remarks today at the United Nations, but I, I understand he continued to express uh, opposition to the Iran deal, the JCPOA, something that um, took a great deal of work and coordination to pull together both – our European allies uh, and our uh, partners in that deal, but adversaries in other means, uh, Russia and China, um, and to provide some constraint for Iran's nuclear ambitions. Um, Are you concerned that um, if President Trump fails to certify Iranian compliance with the nuclear deal, absent any credible evidence of Iranian cheating within the four corners of the deal? Um, that that will deeply strain our relations uh, with our European partners. Um, And if we do so, they will then refuse to agree to the snapback sanctions provided for in the JCPOA. And it will be even harder for us to craft a meaningful um, sanctions regime to force North Korea uh, to back off its nuclear ambitions.
12: Well, thank you for that question, Senator. I think it's an absolutely crucial question and issue Uh, the administration is currently undertaking a review of not only JCPOA, but our broader approach to Iran. Uh, I haven't seen the latest comments that were made uh, in New York, but I do know that Secretary Tillerson has been clear that what we want to take account of uh, is the broader array of Iranian activities, including its ballistic missile program, its support for terrorists in the region. And I think that bigger picture gives us a better sense of where the Iranians are at Uh, than just the terms of the JCPOA. My understanding is that a review is underway, that while that review is underway, we are uh, emphasizing the strict implementation of JCPOA. Uh, Obviously, whatever direction things take with Iran, unity with our European allies will be absolutely crucial. And I do know that there are possible points of daylight between the United States and some of our allies in Europe on the future of JCPOA. I can't speculate on the the direction that the administration's review of this is going to take, but I can assure you that if I'm confirmed, it will be a very high priority to ensure that we have a high degree of coordination with our European allies and with the European Union in ensuring the effectiveness both of JCPOA and the broader Iranian uh, strategy.
9: You said in your opening statement um, that we must work to keep Turkey long the linchpin of NATO's southern flank firmly anchored in the transatlantic community. That will be a challenging task. Um, how would you recommend we proceed in retaining some relationship with Turkey, mm. given all the different tensions um, that have really led to a significant degradation in our relationship with Turkey?
12: Well, It's, a, it's an important question. Thank you for that. I, uh, will, I, I will start by saying Na- uh, Turkey is an absolutely indispensable NATO ally of the United States. I don't think that there is a country in the region or in NATO that could provide for U.S. national security what Turkey is, is currently providing, not only in supporting our efforts in the, uh, uh, the uh, efforts to defeat ISIS, but in the broader regional strategic equation vis-à-vis Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, Iran, uh, the Black Sea littorals, the, the, uh, uh, the relationship with Russia. So at the strategic level, I think it's absolutely critical that we sustain engagement with the Turkish government. Uh, At the same time, in the period since the attempted coup, the department has raised very sincere concerns about the state of rule of law, human rights, and religious minority issues inside Turkey. And there have been developments that are very concerning. I think we have to balance our approach in continuing to work closely with the Turks as a strategic partner in the region. But I don't think we should be shy about raising our concerns in these areas uh, and I think if, if I'm confirmed uh, in coordination with the Secretary, my approach would be to emphasize the common interests that we have in expanding our strategic engagement, but in an appropriate manner to continue to raise those concerns, to look for ways to work closely with Turkish civil society, to expand our people-to-people contacts. I think there's a lot more that could be done in those areas.
9: Thank you, Mr. Mitchell. I believe that we are safest and strongest when we lead uh, with our values. Uh, our values don't always make our allies happy because they often don't share them. Um, but I think uh, an analysis of our interests has to include our values, particularly with regards to human rights and open societies. So um, thank you for that answer. I look forward to working with you.
7: Thank, thank you. Thank you, Senator Coon. Senator Murphy. Uh,
10: thank you very much, uh, Mr. Chairman. Uh, good to see you, Mr. Mitchell. Thank you uh, for... Uh, Stepping up and being willing to serve. I look forward to supporting uh, your nomination when it comes before the United States Senate and working very closely with you as the ranking member on the uh, subcommittee on Europe Um, but uh, as I did with uh, Secretary uh, uh, Excuse me with Governor Huntsman. uh, I want to just acknowledge some underlying realities with you for a moment and get uh, your take on them Um, this administration has opened up a pretty uh, open war with the idea, concept, and funding for diplomacy. The budget proposed a 40% reduction in funding for the State Department. The hiring freeze seems to apply to only one agency today, which is the State Department. There's been a ban or at least a slowdown on promotions and lateral transfers within the agency. You're gonna be asked for your counsel Um, uh, by the secretary and perhaps by the president uh, as to whether to uh, once again re-up a request for a 40% reduction in funding, uh, whether to continue the hiring freeze and whether to slow down transfers and promotions. Can you just share with us what your advice will be when asked upon as to whether to continue these policies that many of us see uh, as leading to an evisceration of diplomacy abroad? Mm -hmm.
12: Well, thank you for that question, Senator Murphy, and I also want to express my gratitude for uh, the meeting that we had and and the years of cooperation that we've had with your office and your leadership on so many issues that are are close to our heart at SEPA. Uh, The Secretary has been clear that he wants to see a better alignment of American priorities and resources at the State Department. Uh, My understanding of uh, the redesign is that it recently completed its second phase. This was an employee-led process. Secretary Tillerson has experience uh, in the private sector with large-scale redesign of uh, uh, organizations. And my understanding is that the targeted areas in this process uh, are areas where the, the Secretary would like to see greater efficiency. I have not been privy to those discussions. I do know that the Secretary has said, as relates to the Bureau of European and Eurasian Affairs, that he would like to see a priority in our work on those parts of Europe that have been under pressure or, or duress or malign influence from the Russian Federation and those parts of Europe uh, that we're working most closely with uh, I- to defeat ISIS. I think those priorities are correct. I don't know what direction or final form the budget discussion will take. Uh, if I'm confirmed, uh, I will make best and highest use of the resources at my disposal. I I certainly agree with the priorities that the Secretary has uh, outlined, and I think in some of these areas it's not a moment when we want to decelerate. So I have a lot of respect for the talented people in the Bureau. I I would like to, if confirmed, get my feet on the ground, have a listening tour, talk to people in the Bureau, understand their priorities and concerns, uh, and uh, until I've done that I wouldn't be willing to really speculate.
10: you know how much respect I have for you and how enthusiastic I am uh, for your willingness to take this position, but just with all due respect, it is not an employee-driven uh, redesign. Um, it, it is a top-down driven redesign, and theres uh, I, I'd be challenged to find a single employee who thinks that many of these policies are in the best interest of the State Department, but you'll have something to do with that. You will be able, once you are in this position, to be able to make sure that the people that work under you have something to say about this, but that is not what is happening. Uh, right now. Um, Maybe one last question uh, on trade policy. Uh, We spent a lot of time in this committee uh, over the past four years talking about a trade agreement, a bilateral trade agreement with the European Union. I heard the trade representative say the other day that that, you know, is essentially on hold, as we all knew. But the danger is that it's going to be substituted uh, by uh, replacement bilateral trade agreements, in particular one that the president has floated with England, with the United Kingdom. Uh, as you know, um, that would uh, that would help the fragmentation of Europe. That would um, be a big win for those that want Europe to fall apart. The idea that the U.S. will not do a deal with the EU and instead will pursue deals with countries that withdraw from the EU. Um, what is our current position? Are you going to be asked to negotiate a bilateral trade agreement with, the, with Great Britain? Uh, should they withdraw, or are you going to be asked to negotiate a bilateral trade agreement with the European Union?
12: Well, this, this is obviously a very important issue, and I have uh, been on the record in the past strongly in support of a robust transatlantic trade agenda uh, of TTIP, Uh, The relationship that we have with the United Kingdom is a very old and very special relationship. Uh, This is a relationship that in strategic terms is vital to us, but also economically. Uh, The United Kingdom is our largest single source of foreign direct investment, conduit for a major swath of our trade with Europe. And I think our priority uh, is to ensure an amicable divorce. And our goal is to see that we, end the process of Brexit, both with a strong strategic and economic relationship with the EU and a strong strategic and economic relationship with the UK. President Trump has been clear that he wants to see uh, a vibrant bilateral trade agreement with the United Kingdom. My understanding is that we are in informal talks, uh, the scoping exercises that are underway with the US UK trade and investment working group. Uh, I think we have to strike a balance here between allowing the US, I'm sorry, allowing the EU and UK to flesh out the substance of their own deal, not least because uh, whatever arrangements we come to with the British will be contingent on that deal, but also sending a signal to American businesses and to the British as our allies that there is a process underway for establishing some uh, groundwork or some principles for the deal that would eventually be done between the United States and UK. Uh, the lead on this is obviously uh, USTR. Uh, if I'm confirmed, I look forward to working closely with the folks at USTR and uh, other relevant agencies to ensure that we end this process with a strong trade relationship both with the EU and with the UK.
10: I just wanna go on the record one more time saying I think that would be an enormous strategic mistake. If Europe is to disintegrate, uh, the responsibility for it will lie at the feet of this administration if it pursues a bilateral trade agreement with Great Britain at the expense of a trade agreement with the European Union. Uh, And I would hope that you would counsel against it. Thank you, Mr. Chairman.
7: Thank you, Senator. Uh, Mr. Mitchell, thank you again for your willingness to serve and thank you for your family, for the sacrifice I know that they're going to undertake uh, with this. So with that, we're going to close the hearing. Uh, I would uh, state for the record, the record will be open until Thursday, to close the business on Thursday, and uh, that will include uh, questions for the record. So with that, again, thank you, Mr. Mitchell, and the uh, meeting is adjourned.
12: Thank you.